0: Hello Deconstruction Community, this is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, a show that gives a platform for people to share their stories of surviving toxic religious environments. As a trigger warning, a lot of topics on this show will revolve around religious trauma, mental health, and spiritual abuse. Hello everyone, this is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, And today I am super excited to have Danny Daniels on the show today Danny was a Bible believing Christian with an instilled fear of not questioning adopted beliefs. But by his mid 40s Christianity wasn't working so he left the church and Jesus he started exploring Eastern religions new age yoga meditation and shamanism. He runs a YouTube channel called Rethinking Jesus, where he challenges the narrative of Jesus and Christianity presented to us. Danny has discovered through his deconstruction that Jesus and Christianity was an invention for control. Thank you so much, Danny, for coming on the show today. Well, thank you, Andrew. I
1: appreciate you having me. Uh, thank you so much. I'm excited.
0: Oh, yes. I am there, super. Hopefully we help some people. Oh, yes, most definitely. So... You know with this show it's about personal stories so for the first question i would like to start with is what was your childhood like regarding religion
1: okay well i was born in the early 1950s and grew up in a little farming community pretty much in the baptist church and of course back then it was very different than today i mean there was three channels on our tv there was no communication so all I was exposed to was the Baptist Church and the Baptist doctrine, and of course, I had wonderful Christian parents, very devout. So I accepted their beliefs and the beliefs of all of the, you know, the well-meaning adults, my peers uh, in that community. That was all we knew. I mean, you couldn't get on the internet and check out Buddhism or anything else. So, so I um, accepted that. Uh, you know, I was in church and uh, grew up, went through high school. Um, I left after high school and I moved to California. Uh, That's where I realized, whoa, I'm not in Kansas anymore. And, uh, you know, I was out of church, away from my friends. And so I backslid. I became a hippie um, for about five years. Um, But the interesting thing is, it's kind of like, you know, the uh, saying that says, bring up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Well, that indoctrination about god and the devil and hell i mean it was always there in the back of my mind and i remember one time i went to a gym and i was sitting in a steam room and uh, i mean it was hot <laughs> and i started thinking man this is hot in here but man if i die tonight i'm going to hell and it's a lot hotter than this and i'll be there for eternity and i was thinking man i better get right with god and so so those fears were always there so so anyway i moved back to kansas city and uh you know, all of this was going on in me and the fear of I was angering God and the devil had deceived me and I was going to hell. So I got saved again, or maybe resaved, or born again again, or, you know, whatever. And I got connected in with a very, very uh, fundamentalist ministry. It's called Kansas City Youth for Christ. And they had a, it was uh, four kids in high school and junior high They had a lot of schools. We had a 1600, you know, seat auditorium where we'd have rallies every uh, Saturday night. They had a summer youth camp. Uh, We're building a TV station, a Christian TV station. So there was a lot of energy going on there. And so I got kind of connected into the into the ministry. And it's kind of like I was almost a rock star when I got there, because everybody would come up to me and they'd go, "Oh my gosh, we heard about you. You're the guy that got saved from the devil's drugs. Jesus saved you. And will you come tell your testimony in our YFC club?" And and um, so you know, I got involved in there. They had a Bible college, and so you know, I went to their Bible college, and uh, you know, then into the ministry with them, and I I was in the ministry for about five years and it was uh yeah very very fundamentalist i was very strict uh, you know this was back in the 19 late 70s and early 80s and i mean dancing was a sin drinking was a sin you know you you go to a party you don't even pick up a glass of water if there's alcohol there because somebody will think you're drinking vodka and, i mean very 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 legalistic so, uh, you know, but I was on staff there and, and in the ministry and I was very devout and the people that I hung around with, we were we were all, you know, we, we would go out street witnessing and passing out tracts and uh, I mean, I cringe at some of the things, you know, I did back then. I, I mean, I remember one time we were driving down the street and it was Sunday and a Catholic church was getting out and we stopped and went out and we're passing out tracts so the People coming out of the Catholic Church and I just look at stuff like that now and I think oh my gosh I mean, it's so cringeworthy that you know I mean back then but but you know that's what I grew up in that's what my friends were and we kind of conformed to you know the people around us so anyway you know well I got married I, I did leave the ministry but I stayed in church a very you know strict in church and um, you know, a few kids and and everything. And I don't know, by my mid to late 40s, I was kind of, you know, I mean, Christianity really wasn't working for me. Um, And I ended up, you know, getting a divorce, which kind of was the blessing for me, because, you know, I took off and I went to Costa Rica for six weeks, and just, you know, down there. And, And I went to a place and I thought it was just uh, like a health resort where you go and you eat good vegetarian food and stuff like this. And and I got there and it was pretty much like a new age community. And then there were Buddhists and I mean, all different kinds of, you know, beliefs that I had never been exposed to because my whole life I'd been pretty sheltered only being surrounded by people who believed like I did. And we would all congratulate each other that, yeah, we have the truth and so anyway down there it was kind of like a shock but you know i started talking to some of these people for the first time in my life and they were the ones that you know were wolves in sheep's clothing and they were going to hell and worshiping demons and i thought wow you know these guys have a lot more love you know than i ever saw in church and so that kind of you know changed me a little bit and. You know, changed my perspective. Thought, well, maybe the way I've been looking at life and what I was taught isn't really true. And uh, so, anyway, I came back to Kansas City, and and I had kind of moved away from you know my friends. I'd moved to a different part of the city, and and of course they came to see me and kind of try to get me back in, you know, the fold. And of course, once they realized I wasn't coming back in the fold, they're just kind of like, okay, you know, done with you. So. Uh, <clears throat> Anyway, I kind of over the years I uh, I continued, and you know I met people with other religions, which to me was a huge, huge part. Um, you know, today some of my dearest friends are people, you know, all these people that I never, you know, I just judged them without even knowing them in my Christian days, and uh, you know, like Hindus and Buddhists and shamans. I know some pagan friends. I know gay friends. I mean, atheist friends. You know, what I mean, I respect everybody's rights to believe, and uh, and it's kind of been an evolution. But I, <clears throat> you know, and and the reason I'm starting the rethinking Jesus, you know, you know, my YouTube channel. When I left church, okay, I left Jesus too, because in my mind, I mean, it's like Jesus belongs to Christianity. And if you want Jesus, well, you've gotta be a Christian to get him. And it actually was a Hindu, um, you know, that I started reading and I saw, man, you know, he really loves Jesus and really knows Jesus. And I thought, wow, you know, maybe Jesus doesn't belong to Christianity and maybe Jesus isn't this, you know, it's like when you accept Jesus, you think you're accepting Jesus, and here's the guy that tells us to love everybody and not judge and be kind—just amazing, amazing things that we really need for today. But you don't just accept Jesus; you accept the whole package. It comes with Moses and Paul, and you know, and the whole the whole thing. And if if you would just follow Jesus, you know, take all the religious doctrine that's been attached to him and just look at his life and his teachings, it's like, wow, and I can't hate anybody. I can't hate gays, I can't hate Muslims, I can't hate anybody. You know, I've just got to love everybody. But with the whole package, when you got Moses and Paul, well, now we can justify slavery, you can beat your slaves, misogyny, yeah, Paul, you know, we we can justify hate gays, we can justify a lot of stuff. So we can still be, hateful and bigoted inside that we can be a christian and put jesus you know like this fire protection policy but we don't pay any attention to following him or even paying attention because we're reading the rest of the bible so anyway it's um but and i started seeing that you know if jesus is just looked at you know just let him stand alone Without interpreting through Moses and Paul. It's like, wow, he looks so different. And I started seeing things like, okay, you know, why did Jesus have to come? Okay, according to Christian theology that I was always taught, you know, the doctrine of original sin. Okay, so here's Adam and Eve, and you know, they eat the fruit. And because of that, well, now god has to say okay now now their children are going to be born unworthy and their children's children and we're going to have billions and billions of people that you know they can't come to heaven so well i gotta build an eternally burning lake of fire and i'll just push them all into it and so basically the gospel is that jesus came to save us from god and what God was planning to do to us because Eve was deceived by a talking snake. And when I started looking at, that's what I really believe. Does that make sense? No, it's, that's, it's ridiculous, you know? And, and, you know, you start asking questions, which I never did, you know, in Christianity. I started asking questions like, okay, here's God who we're told is just loves and loves us all so much. And he sees Adam and Eve, he goes, oh no, they sinned. Now their children are all gonna be born. He had only one thing he could think of, build a lake of fire and push them all in. Why didn't he? I mean, he had no problem with killing people in the Old Testament. I mean, he'd wipe out 500,000, 70,000, 1750, just because he got angry. Why didn't he just kill Adam and Eve? Or if he wanted to be benevolent, he could have just made Eve barren. You know, so I mean, there's when I started just asking questions, it's like, this is nonsense. I mean, really nonsense.
0: Yeah. And, so, and <laughs> it, the interesting thing is, um, I don't think there's one mention of hell in the Old Testament at all. No. Mm-mm. No, it was Sheol, you know. Yeah.
1: And in the New Testament, it's mostly Jesus that talks about hell. But the word is translated, it's um, Gehenna, which is actually the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. It's where they take the trash, you know, and they burn the trash. And so Jesus, in talking, you know, he's talking, he says, You got to forgive your brother. Don't have hate in your heart. Don't have greed or lust. If you do, you know, it's like you're living in hell. You know, it's like, and he's talking about the garbage dump outside. So it's like, you know you can live in a palace and have a banquet god has for you or you can live in the garbage dump Which which you want but the church took hell and turned it into you know which hell now that's another thing i mean i look at hell what kind of i mean that's such nonsense that here we are we don't ask to be born according to christian theology All of a sudden, we just pop up here, and what the heck is this? Where is it? And we go through a life, and some people live fifteen years, some people live a hundred years, some people are born a woman in Afghanistan to a Taliban leader. Some people are born in a wonderful Christian home. Some, you know, and everybody's got to figure out. Oh well, I've got to follow Jesus. I've got to accept Jesus, or I go to hell for eternity to be burned in a fire. Now, God if he made the universe and there are like 200 billion galaxies with, and each of them have billions, hundreds of billions of stars in it. I mean, the universe is a big place. I mean, couldn't he have figured out some other option than, well, you know, I got to put them all in hell. I mean, he could put us all on our own planet, you know, depending on, you know, how bad we were in life or how good we were. Maybe Mother Teresa would be on a nice one. Mm Gandhi, you know, he was a Hindu, so he couldn't go to heaven. And that was what I always thought. Yeah. So, you know, Hitler be on a really bad planet, sticks and <laughs> yes. and you know, probably 120 degrees, and you know, so I, you know, I mean, the whole thing—if you ask questions—makes no sense.
0: And so it sounds like, from what you studied, hell sounds more like a state of mind to what you've discovered, to like, you know, if you live a right life, you'll live in heaven. If you live a bad life, you'll live in hell. Is that my understanding? Is that right? Well,
1: I mean, look at people today who so many people are are in turmoil. I mean, people are committing suicide. I mean, yeah. Our life is experienced inside of our bodies, okay? And people who are filled with hate, bitterness, fear. That's not a pleasant emotion to have. I mean, that's not, it's not fun at all. People who, they may have millions of dollars or billions of dollars, but they that's never enough. It's always like, I gotta have more, I gotta keep up. I, you know, I'm not enough. And, And what drives them is, you know, outer circumstances, you know, to be somebody and so there's no you know, happiness inside, no joy inside, because when we, our inner world of emotions, whether we're happy or whether we're sad or whether we're mad or angry, is all dictated by outer things that happen to us. Well, then we're living in hell, or we can be. If things are good, yeah, it's good, but boy, if things are bad now, it's terrible. And the bad emotions, and some of them are really unpleasant. And, you know, some people, I mean, they'll commit suicide because their emotions are so bad. Yeah, I'd say they're living in hell. Mm-hmm. But as far as a literal lake of fire, <clears throat> where people are going to be bar- go to be tortured, and it doesn't matter if you're a good person that didn't accept Jesus or you're a serial murderer, it's just one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Which is nonsense, to me. yeah I mean, that... it just
0: <laughs> yeah, it definitely is, and so you know, with your beliefs and your deconstruction, what do you or what have you discovered about how the narrative has been changed over the years, the idea of hell and these doctrines to control people, what have you discovered in your search
1: um i I think hell was totally invented by man. I think it's it's a, a nonsensical idea, as I've kind of already pointed out. I mean, if you just think about it, I mean, would a loving God think, oh, there's nothing I can do now, gosh, I'm just going to have to throw you in hell. I, I mean, it's so nonsense. <laughs> and but the church, and especially in the Middle Ages, I mean, we're talking people that were superstitious that couldn't learn, you know, that couldn't read most of them. And you got this powerful church state that has mandated everybody to believe, you know, to become a Christian. I mean, it was mandatory. You, if you questioned, I mean, you could be tortured imprisoned or burned at the stake, but hell was a great motivator to for people to, you know, trust the church and see, they, they told us Jesus came, and I believe He came not as a savior, but as an avatar. And an avatar, in you know, not the computer one or the movie, but in Hinduism and Eastern thought, an avatar is one who comes sent from God, you know, not to save us, but one that comes to tell us that we can be like He is, you know. Savior comes because we have to ask two questions, okay? you know, Why do we need to be saved, and what do we need to be saved from? And the why we need to be saved according to Jesus as a Savior is because Adam and Eve sinned, and we're born unworthy. And the Catholic Church especially, they just, I mean, they load it on. They want everybody praying the, the you know, the rosary, and... Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and their consciousness is so, oh, we're so sinful, but Jesus is going to save us. So the why is because Adam and Eve sinned and we were, you know, we're sinners. And so we need to be saved. And the what we need to be saved from is hell, which I've already told you. I and mean, that that seems so weird. Now, an avatar, on the other hand, comes not to save us because we don't need to be saved from hell. An avatar comes to tell us that, you know, we've kind of forgotten who we are, that we're children of God, and that you can be like I am. And Jesus came and he was almost stoned to death because he, he was talking to the religious leaders and he was trying to explain to them that, you know, he said, I and the Father are one and I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And they were going to stone him because they said, you're, you're like God. But he said to them, he said, hey, it's written in your law. You know, God has said you are gods and the scripture can't be broken. But religion can't accept that. And Jesus later, in praying for his disciples, praying to the father, and this is just shortly before he got crucified, he said, Father, may they be one just as we are one, you know, I and them and you and me, that we may be perfectly united. And he prayed that about three or four times through there. And so he's coming to tell us that we also are one with God. But religion tells us that, oh, no, we're separate from God. We're outside of God. We're unworthy. You know, Jesus came to say, no, you are worthy. You're children of God. You're loved by the Father. And religion says God's an angry judge and he's going to judge you. But Jesus came and he said, you know, he changed the whole consciousness, the whole concept of God away from this angry judge, this Jehovah that, you know, he changed it to a loving heavenly father. I think 183 times in the gospels he referred to God either as my father, your father, or our father. And he told the parable of the prodigal son, which is, he was telling us what God is like, okay? You know, so you got the prodigal son, You got three characters in the in the parable you got the father who represents god you got the elder son which represents the religious mindset and you got the younger son the prodigal son which represents everybody that's really screwed up like I I have so anyway the prodigal son goes to the father and says father you know give me my inheritance you know i'm out of here And what he was doing in that culture, I mean, you don't do that when your father's alive. If you ask for your inheritance, you're saying to your father, say, I want nothing to do with you. You're not my father anymore. I'm leaving. So he was totally, I'm out of here. And he took his inheritance and he goes away to a far country, which means he's leaving. He ain't never coming back. When he squanders his money on prostitutes and wild living, and he ends up broke, He's had to get a job feeding pigs and he says, well, I'm going to go back to my father and I'll just say, father, I'm not worthy to be your son, but make me as one of your hired servants. And while he was going, when he was still a long way off, the father saw him and came running to him and wrapped his arms around him and said, bring the finest robe and kill the fatted calf and, you know, come, you know, let's celebrate your home. Well, that's what God the father is like. And that's what jesus was trying to tell us that God the father is like that and the older brother is religion the religious mindset that says no he's got to pay you know you gotta punish him and i've been look how holy i've been and i've always obeyed you you know so jesus was smacking religion in the face and he was saying God's not an angry Jehovah that's going to beat you up. God is a loving Heavenly Father. And you want to know what the Father is like, the Creator? He's like this, and he's Mm -hmm. run to you. It doesn't matter what you've done. He'll always embrace you, he'll always accept you. And even more than that, Jesus said, You want to know what the Creator is like? Look at me. You've seen my love, my compassion, my mercy, my forgiveness. Well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you know exactly what the Creator is like. So, you know, it's it's like Jesus, the message that he gave on what God was like, on our relationship with God as oneness, as children of God, one with God, is so totally different than the religion that Christianity gives us. Course, you can't control people's mind with a God like Jesus. And if we have direct connection access with God, because you know we are one with our Creator, um you can't control people. You can't have the opulence of the Vatican that you control people in this hierarchy, you know. But that's what the kingdom of heaven is like that Jesus tried to tell us about. It's like hierarchy that controls the minds of the people, like the priesthood that Jesus stood against, or, you know, like the Vatican, or, like, you know, lots of religions. But it's like everybody just realizing, hey, you know, we're okay, God loves us. We connect with God ourselves, we don't need a priest, we don't need a rabbi or, you know, God is love. And
0: Yeah, so I think that is very um, inspirational, the way you look at it, you know. And I do really look up to the story of Jesus and how he tried to call out this legalistic, toxic religion. And, you know, I definitely, as I've deconstructed, I've seen ways that people have used jesus sadly to oppress other people and i don't know if you've heard the book called toxic jesus oh but but yeah i think it's a book you would enjoy but it's how um christianity has created these different versions basically of jesus to that harmful that that's harmful to many people and You know, I think it's interesting because, you know, growing up, I was always taught that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins because we're so unworthy and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, people can argue about it all they want, but, you know, really Jesus was killed because the religious people hated the messages he was sending. It gave people, I feel like, more peace, more autonomy. They didn't live in fear with Jesus' teachings. But the religious crowds, like, no, like, we want to control people with fear. If they're not afraid, how are we going to get them in line? How are we going to control them? How are we going to get their money? Hmm. And, you know, it it's, I was always taught to growing up that the Bible is inerrant, that it's perfect, that, you know. Yeah. And all that, but then once I've gotten older and actually researched that and see how much the Bible has been manipulated um, and changed by men, basically, you know, I think that was a big part of me, like, deconstructing and being like, okay, like, this isn't the incredible, perfect book that they were telling me about that. And, you know, once I was, you know, researching to, like, how translations worked and how, kind of like hard and sketchy that can be between different languages and how just people just decided like oh well, this is what i want to do and you know obviously there are a lot of great things that we can take from scripture and you know kind of like what you said earlier about how you know how christ can be so attached to christianity that you have to accept all of it And of course, you know, like we had said, there are parts in the Bible that condone slavery, Mm -hmm. um, condones patriarchy, misogyny, um, homophobia. So for me, deconstructing, a lot of people really personally didn't understand it. They're like, oh my gosh, like you're deconstructing, like you're not following Jesus and you're going to be a bad person. And I'm like, no, I'm Uh like, you don't understand. I'm like, this is so toxic like christianity has all these other things attached to it i'm like y'all aren't really all about jesus y'all are really all about about these additional extremist things Mm. and if christianity were really all about just christ you know people wouldn't have as much of an issue with it at all i think but so many people have used religion in general and christianity to discriminate and to be hateful and really to use it to have power and control. And so, you know, for me, it was kind of hard for me to get around, but you know, I still look up to Jesus. I still follow his teachings, but I don't call myself a Christian because I don't want to associate, um, with that. And it was just so harmful submitting to the dogma of Christianity. And for me, it's like, you know what? I'll take away these positive things of how Jesus fought against toxic religion because I really do look up to that. And, you know, I know in your mid-40s, that's when you realize that Christianity um, wasn't for you anymore. So what I would like to ask is, like, what experiences in the church led you up to that moment to finally be like, this isn't healthy, this isn't good for me?
1: and i love what you said i totally agree with everything you said and that that's like my you know what i would be saying too. you spoke eloquently for what i am but uh yeah being in a church that much of course i grew up in the baptist church and i went more to you know charismatic and and i got into a church that was really very prophetic um you know they had the prophets and stuff and i mean it was real exciting it's like oh you know god is doing this great thing and and the prophets i mean over the years i saw how they made a lot of different mistakes and and actually one of the huge things was and, and you know i was in a church it's now i don't know if you've heard of ihop um, anyway it's was very prophetic and they had this guy Bob Jones and Augustine and you know and all of these prophets and and it was a and we started going there my wife and I when uh, you know the church first started and so we were right there and we were in it and on the one year anniversary they were having a big thing you know a big super meeting to celebrate the one year anniversary and we were sitting on the second row my wife and I and the prophets, you know, were up on the stage and, you know, Mike Bickle was up there. And, and uh, Augustine, this one prophet said, he got up and he said, all right, you know, let's prophesy. So I didn't know what you came here for, you know, kind of like egotistical looking back now. So anyway, he starts down the line, you know, on the front row and he goes, okay, you're going to get a new anointing and God says this to you and blah, 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 you know. And my wife and I had been married at that time about one year. We had never had an argument. We'd never disagreed. I mean, everything was just perfect. So he's gone down and he gets to the second row. And, you know, we of course, everybody stands up. So here we are standing up in front of the church. And he says, all right, I see you've had a bunch of problems in your marriage, haven't you? And I was like, you know, I I didn't want to correct him because I was like, there was a fear in me of here was the prophetic, and this I think is something that is in a lot of churches because you got the people up on stage and it's like, oh my gosh, I don't want, you know, maybe he's seeing something in the future, maybe he's seeing something, you know, and I'm going through all that, so so there's a fear of me correcting him. But my ex-wife, I mean, she she didn't take no shit from nobody, and she just looked at him and she goes, uh-uh. And he goes, oh well, I see the perfect couple, you know, and she, you know, and so it was a little bit of more back and forth, and you know, she starts crying, and she leaves, you know, and I leave right after her, and you know, I go out, and then I thought, you know, wait a minute, I mean, this is wrong. I need to go back in, so I started to go back in, and hear everybody's walking out, and and what had happened was after it was over, it, it, he just said, all right. You know and mike Bickle said all right that's it we're done we're over and so the whole thing just shut down but uh you know that was one thing that happened to us and i saw you know like other people you know that were hurt by the prophetic because they were put up on a pedestal they were like moses and boy you don't contradict moses you know moses says something, so you know things like that and um you know just you know, that was a big one, though, and uh, so that, you know, kind of helped me get out, and just starting to see things in the Bible that, you know, I was always taught, like you were, that, I mean, the Bible's in it's God's word, and we may not understand it, because he works in mysterious ways, but you don't question the Bible, so, you know, I mean, and I had read through the Bible a few times, and you know, I have no idea how I believe that God actually stopped the sun. So Joshua's army would have enough daylight to keep, you know, slaughtering the enemies, you know, in daylight. When in the same battle, God was up there throwing down giant hailstones and killing more of the enemy than Joshua. I mean, it's like, wait a minute, wouldn't it have been easier for God just to make more hailstones and to stop the sun? And obviously, he didn't stop the sun, but, you know, 4,000 years ago, if you think the earth is flat, well, the sun rises and sets and hurries back to the place or to rise again, which the Bible says. You know, it's great faith-building for all the people. God oh, stopped the sun. Some sense of like this, I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, this just doesn't make sense. And then, of course, when I left and I started meeting people who, You know, I had always been taught, stay away from them. They'll lead you away from the faith. They worship demons. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, these people have more fruit in their life than, you know, the people I've been in church with all my life. So so that really helped me get away um, from it. But then what really brought me back to Jesus, like I say, because I would kind of left him was when, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Paramahansa Yogananda, he's like a yogi that came to America in the 1920s, but I read one of his books and it's like, Mm -hmm. wow, man, this guy really, he speaks a lot about Jesus and he had such a deep love for Jesus and he was a Hindu, you know? And I thought, man, you know, well, maybe I need to rethink Jesus. And uh, so that kind of led me into thinking, okay, seeing Jesus in a whole different light, you know, I look at Jesus as he's nothing to do with religion. I mean, absolutely nothing. In fact, he stood against the religious leaders, you know, called them blind guides, the den of thieves. He tore them down. He broke the law by picking corn on the Sabbath. He healed people on the Sabbath. He, you know, he did everything he You do in that culture to totally, you know, totally stand against religion. And yet he was made into a religion. So, what I'm trying to do, and so many people in the West, I mean, everybody, I mean, even if you grew up an atheist, you know, Jesus is still so much in the collective consciousness of the whole West, but he's so misunderstood. So, And just trying to get people to think of him in a way and say, whoa, you know, I never thought of that before. But, you know, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so at what time in your life did you feel like you started to deconstruct or really start questioning Christianity? probably my
1: mid, like I say, my mid 40s. And, uh, you know, I just wasn't, you know, and at that time, I mean, I was having some marriage, you know, issues too. And, you know, the stress of, you know, just daily life and stuff. And, you know, and, and it just wasn't, you know, like in my 20s and 30s, you know, and when I was in Bible college and in the ministry, I mean, I really had some good times. And, Oh, I mean, we were I had a great group of friends and we all believed exactly the same. And, and the farther out you get and, you know, some things like the prophetic. And I mean, there were a lot of other things that the prophetic, you know, where I saw, wait a minute, you know, they're, you know, they kind of manipulate people. They give a prophecy and it doesn't come true and, you know, all of this stuff. And so, you know, but then, you know, after my divorce and and of course, that allowed me it made it easier because i was able to totally get away from my social network of friends and you know begin to think about different things and and what really really helped me was just meeting and for the first time in my life getting to know people who were hindus and buddhists and who were taoists and you know some of my greatest spiritual growth came from you know like a dallas sage who gave me some just incredible wisdom to help me through some really hard times in my life and i'm thinking you know wait a minute you know i mean so i think dogmatic religion is probably one of the worst things for you know humanity um you know i know because Dogma always separates us. It divides, you know, doctrine divides, and Jesus' message and the Buddha's message, and, and the message of all those who had religions founded around them, it was just, hey, treat others as you want to be treated. No, you don't have to know all the answers, you know. I mean, that's another thing. In Christianity, it's like, you've got to know. you got to be the Bible answer, man. So, you know, when, when the answer here, the Bible has it. You know, what's wrong with not knowing? Especially not knowing things that you can't possibly know. No, that's what the theology is, I think. It's like, well, we can't possibly know this. So, you know, so you got the Council of Nicaea. They write out, this is the definitive truth about Jesus. He was born of the Father before all ages. You know, and I wonder, how do you know that? Jesus was born of the Father before all ages. do they get a time machine and go back before all ages, whenever that was, and watch God the Father give birth to Jesus? I mean, how does that work? When you just start asking questions of things that you never dared question before, because everybody else, you know, and that statement has been read probably hundreds of trillions of times in churches since the fourth century, you know, everybody memorizes it and recites it together, born of the Father before all ages. And it's like, how do you know that? Why do you have to know that? What difference does it make? And I always chuckle, it's like, you know, let's see. okay, if there is God on the throne and here's Jesus, and okay, but he dies and you're standing before God, the Father, and okay, well, let me see, well, you were kind to people you love people you treated people good and yeah you did a lot of good deeds in secret that's pretty good well let me see Do you? how about that's that's good part let me see about the doctrines you didn't believe in the virgin birth you questioned the doctrine of a rich oh i'm sorry well you had to believe i'm sorry i love you but angels send them to hell i mean it's so freaking absurd and ridiculous (laughs) if you just
0: about it yeah most definitely and i would say a lot of it is very psychological because as human beings we can have this strong need for certainty and i've seen this a lot in fundamentalist christianity is that these people really really want and need certainty and Mm -hmm. a lot of them like you said they cannot prove a lot of their claims but they will cite over and over again that it's true. And it's really like convincing themselves that it's true by That's exactly, yeah. repeating it over and over and by surrounding themselves by people who believe exactly as they do. Mm-hmm. And so it just convinces them that it's true and then okay, well, this comforts me because number one, it gives me a sense of purpose. Number two, you know, it makes me feel special because I was chosen by God. And, you know, number three, I don't have to be afraid of death because, you know, I'll go to heaven because I follow this rule, this rule, this rule. So, you know, I do the checklist. I'm good. And it definitely gives fundamentalists, I think, like a righteous high to feel like they're right and Mm -hmm. everyone else is wrong. And really, is what the Pharisees love to do. They love to follow the law and condemn people for not following it by every letter Mm -hmm. And it gave them that pleasure. But there is definitely a downside to trying to live your life that way. It's just, yes, you feel great when you follow those rules, but you're not going to always be able to do that. And you're going to feel really um, shitty on the days that you don't follow that rule. And you'll really be emotionally um, unstable. And I think really, like, it causes a lot of, like, frustration and anger and hostility even towards other people. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I would say, you know, for the next question, I just, I think it's incredible that you questioned it and left it in your forties because that's such a late time in life. And, you know, at that point, a lot of people already have their whole worldviews and beliefs figure it out. And to even uproot it at that age is really incredible. And not many people do that, but it must have been causing you so much psychological discomfort and maybe mental health issues. Um, What were the teachings that affected your well-being the most in Christianity?
1: I I think I like what you said about the need to be certain about things. And that's kind of a like a false certainty uh, it's like the doctrine it's like a security blanket and we feel like okay i got my doctrines. i know what you know god is like now i know everything about god and i know i'm going to heaven when i die but you know you really don't and you know all the people say yeah well i know i'm going to heaven well i think in the back of their mind because i know in mine it was like yeah i was still afraid to die you know i'm not today i mean i I would like to live a long life, but you know, if I die, yeah, okay, it's it's part of life. It's like two ends of a book, you know, big book ends, you know. So you got one end, you're born, and then you got however many chapters and books that you experience in this life, and then you got death, and it's like just go on. It. It's nothing to be feared, but that's what religion does. It caught it causes people fear, and you know, I think to, I mean, I was was talking to a friend of mine and she's, she grew up Catholic and she's just a beautiful hearted and, you know, person. And as a child, she told me that her mother, who was very, very Catholic, would always take her to church and would take her to confession and would say, no, you go in and confess your sins. And she was just this innocent little girl. And she goes into this Booth and has to say, "Oh no, well I I sinned and I'm such you know." And she hadn't done anything. I mean, she was pure. And I mean, that's traumatic to a child. And to tell a child that you're going to go to an eternal blazing fire and you're going to be burned and tortured for all eternity if you don't accept Jesus. I mean, that's the most psychological manipulation that you know you can imagine. I mean, that's like child abuse. But most people who you know accept jesus in childhood i mean that it's like it becomes the program that runs our life and you know that can our beliefs control our thoughts and we have the same thoughts going over you know day after day so yeah i mean it just began to seem like that i mean you know does hell even make sense you know okay the prophets were wrong i've seen you know and and i mean i was in church i was in a big church in kansas city and and the pastor ran off to florida with this lady and took a bunch of the church money and then i was in another church a pretty big church and the pastor was having an affair with the secretary and and all of this stuff and you know i just see so many things in christianity that was very unlike you know what they were saying and you know and so I, mean, I knew you know it wasn't for me anymore and i didn't know what exactly i would believe or where i would go but today it's like you know i think life is just about experiencing life and i think that all we have to do is just treat others as we want to be treated you know like jesus said that you know love fulfills all the law and the prophets is love if you love people you're not going to do anything to hurt them so you know i mean that's it i mean it's so simple just love your neighbor as yourself just treat him as you would want him to be treated you want him to slander you no well then don't slander him you know just just i mean it's so simple religion is it into a formula and, and and they've taken something that is so simple and you put it in this huge confusing book the bible that good luck really trying to figure it out i mean i was really trying to figure out how you know okay because i thought jesus and god the father you know they were both together and in the old testament it was actually jesus that was up in heaven and he was pushing the button to, famine and plague and war and open the ground and you know he was pushing buttons to do all this and then he comes to earth and he's just love and peace and turn the other cheek but now he's going to come back in a while he's going to be like rambo jesus and kick ass you know and it's like wait a minute talk about bipolar i mean dr jekyll and mr hyde you know how could jesus be this in the old testament and then i think okay and Jesus was praying to the Father and just adoring the Father. And I'm thinking, the Father, the God of the Old Testament is a psychopathic mass murderer. I mean, I I mean, if you just read what he did, it's like God's a psychopath. So was Jesus really praying to that God, or do we think he is just because he happened to be stuck in the Bible with this? angry, jealous, psychopathic God. And, you know, he got stuck in the Bible with Paul who never met Jesus, but Christianity comes, the doctrines come way more from Paul than anything Jesus did. Jesus is just, we keep him hanging on the cross to remind us that that should have been us, and don't you feel guilty about that? And You know, you're so unworthy, and he's, you know, So there's just so much stuff that is just like, Ridiculous.
0: You know, interesting to hear you say that about Paul, because a lot of people don't even think about that. Considering how much of Paul's teachings have influenced our churches, and not really Jesus's teachings. And really, I guess you would say that Jesus is kind of like you know, you said this thing that they used to scare people with, oh. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember at Bob Jones University sitting in a sermon and they were showing a painting on the projection of Jesus. And it's Jesus kind of like looking, you know, at the viewer. And, you know, and they were playing a clip of someone's opinion of it. And they were saying how, you know, when they look at this painting, it's Jesus looking at them. And, making them, and it made them feel guilty, like, oh, like, Jesus is looking at you and thinking, oh, look what you did to me. And I think that's so ridiculous because, like we had said before earlier, like, none of us had a choice in coming here, and none of us had really a choice in being imperfect. Like, that's just the way the world is, and it never made sense to me that God would create Adam and Eve And, you know, he's supposedly all-knowing, and they would sin, and then he would punish everyone that came from them, the generations. And I'm like, okay, like, that doesn't sound like a just God that punishes people for something that these two people did. That doesn't sound so, you know, obviously now I don't believe in a literal interpretation of that story, but... If you take it literally, it's very ridiculous and there are a lot of plot holes. And then even for like repopulating the earth, if it's just Adam and Eve and, you know, they have children and then what are their children, are brothers brothers and sisters going to have sex together to (laughs) keep the world going? And (laughs) it's like, you know, and the truth is, you know, these religions offer all these answers and we really don't know hundred percent sure or really at all how the world started now you know through science evolution has helped us understand how things have changed and evolved over time but I think you know we have the theory of the big bang but we don't ha- know a hundred percent behind that either and and it's so ridiculous to hear about the arguments about evolution and saying how oh well, everything just can't be an accident, or someone had to create this, but you can talk about that all you want, but, you know, and one thing that bothered me, I was like, okay, like, if the world, you know, since the world is so well designed and intricate, why doesn't, why isn't the Bible that way? Why isn't the Bible match the creation or authorship of actual creation? Because, you know, I would hear Christians talk about how amazing the eye is and intricate and how that couldn't be an accident. And so, and yes, I'm sure that is hard to explain, but the truth is there's a lot we don't know about Mm -hmm. science and evolution. There's still so much we have to discover. We've just discovered a fraction Mm -hmm. of what's in the world. So it really comes from this assumption of that, oh, well, it can't possibly be science couldn't possibly explain that like it has to be supernatural and you know I'm still I would say I would label myself right now in life as agnostic because I definitely do believe in some kind of higher source or power in our life but I don't believe in like the biblical God and you know it really has made my life a lot more peaceful mm-hmm. to let go of that. Because as you were saying this to psycho psychomaniac God in the Old Testament, and then he changes in the New Testament, and then he kind of changes again. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to come back as a lion and just wreck <laughs> and destroy <Yeah>. everything. <laughs> and it's really sad because I would question some people in my life about that, and they would justify all these terrible – awful things in the old testament because they wanted to defend their faith basically and to me it's always bothered me when people put dogma over humanity Mm -hmm. and so kind of my life motto for myself is humanity over dogma like people Uh, will always be more important than these beliefs people's Mm well-being people's rights will always be more important than these beliefs and we can see throughout history how religion has been used to harm people. Like, even in the 50s and 60s, Christianity oh, yeah. was used to keep church, churches segregated and keep African-Americans out of churches. And, you know, even before that, like, a lot of, um, and I hate this word illegitimate, but like, I don't know a better word for it. But like, mm-hmm. children who are, I guess, children who are born out of wedlock were greatly looked down upon um especially in the early 1900s when they were orphanages and when people found out that like oh this child was born of wedlock they were seen as less than because of this judeo christian interpretation and verses in the old testament that you know there's a, i know there's a verse in like i think it's like deuteronomy 23 or something where you know, it's like the Lord says that a, a bastard will not enter right. into my congregation. So, like, is there's these very hateful things towards people that can't help in their circumstances, and it's like, you know, why is a person less just because they're born out of wedlock? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like, I don't, I don't really understand that, and it's really me because, <laughs> like, I don't, and I think just from a very extreme religious point of view someone who has these legalistic tendencies, basically, you know, if you do something outside of the law, um, then it's cursed or something, or yeah. it's bad. And so, you know, thankfully, I think in America, we've been able to get past that very awful um, perspective of people born out of wedlock. And, you know, and they tried, there was a lot of discrimination definitely against those kinds of people because, you know, until things were actually changed by activists, like someone had to basically be branded their entire life like on their birth certificate and on their identification that they were illegitimate. Um so like anywhere they got a job or did anything, like everyone would know that. So it was like a scarlet letter, I guess you would say really? were well, the
1: people were actually branded on their birth certificate? I didn't yeah, know that, but that's that, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And so, wow. you know, it was really sad. And um, her name is Edna Gladney. She was an activist and she was born out of wedlock, and she fought for illegitimate children's rights, basically. And to she really mm. made, I know in Texas, she made legislation happen where Texas would no longer put that on birth certificates or identification. Oh, that's great. It was amazing. And, you know, in her life... Someone she was close to committed suicide because they found out they were illegitimate, and they were engaged, and the, mm. the parent the parents did not want their son to marry this person who they thought you know they said oh well she's illegitimate you know that's awful, and so she immediately when she found that out she felt so much shame about it because of the stigma that was back then, and so. I am grateful definitely for activists who have challenged these very bigoted um, views that religion has used and justified. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, even today, like we're still, you know, having issues with like the LGBTQ rights with Christianity, still using that to justify bigotry against that. and, You know, it's it's been really sad in America to see all the legislation um, that has been to limit rights just because of the the fear um, all around it. And I think it's something that will eventually change. But it's not like anything. It takes time. And really the only way we can be a peaceful society really a pluralistic society is if we all learn just to respect each other just for what they believe, and just be like, okay, you know what? As long I don't personally, I don't care what anyone believes. Like as long as it doesn't harm me in any way, and you don't take away my rights, like I don't care. Like that's your choice. But when your beliefs intrude on people's rights and well-being, and that's a whole other area. And so, of course, in America, we have these Christian nationalists who mm-hmm. are fighting against that and wants to really turn our nation into a theocracy um, really yeah. and so you know I'm hoping that you know Gen Z will step up and really fight these fundamentalist ideologies and even with like the QAnon thing with the insurrection that happened that was a lot of Christian nationalists white supremacists. um mm type thinking that happens so i'm hoping through really i guess the only way i feel like we can stamp out these extremist views is through a good education for everyone and we even see republicans now really fighting over education and you know there's a whole thing about critical race theory how they're so upset about it and they're so worried that, oh, well, they're going to make white kids feel really shameful and bad about being white. And obviously no one at all should be shamed for their skin color. But to to me, it's crazy that these Christians who shame people every single Sunday for being Mm -hmm. human, then they're like, oh, well, don't shame us for our skin color. And obviously I think both things are wrong but there's such a they don't see the contradiction <laughs> that they have no. in that belief it's like well you, you know you're over here shaming people just for being human and then now you're contradicting yourself by saying don't shame me because i'm white and so you know it's like okay there's something up here and i think it's definitely white supremacy even though we don't realize it and it's something that i'm really trying to get into is we need to really learn to, i guess to decolonize because you know our country you know when it was discovered you know christians just took over and yeah. massacred the indians and all these different things yeah. and had, had these different mindsets around it that have been even though we might not think of it now as racist there might be policies that We might have forgotten about like for example like redlining um which Mm -hmm. is something i don't think we do anymore but it's kind of stayed that way because certain certain areas you know were segregated yeah okay you have to but but it stayed that way because (sighs) those people were really pushed into poverty and so they ended up staying in those areas and we have yeah that's we haven't done much to Change that yet in America to help bring those people out of poverty and integrate them, um, into society because, you know, I'm in Greenville, South Carolina, and I've had, car- um, I've had conversations with my guardians, um, about, you know, redlining in the past. And, you know, mm-hmm. they've told, they, they've told me that like Andrew, they're like, you know, there's still a section of Greenville that, you know, was redlined in the past and it's still in mm-hmm. poverty and we need to get these people out of poverty and help make Greenville a better place. And, you know, a lot of issues with that is that if that district or area automatically is in poverty, that also means that they'll be limited to also like education mm-hmm. and healthcare. And so it really starts this awful cycle of just right. th- these people in constant poverty. So I think, you know, we need to really take a step. Back and examine all the systemic issues that we might not see as obvious that Christianity has started or white supremacy has started. But um, but I think Republicans, for some reason, are really scared (laughs) um, about that. But, you know, for another question, what big important lessons have you learned on your journey of deconstructing?
1: Well, a lot of it. Yeah, I like, I like what you said there too. and uh, But I think one of the biggest things, biggest ahas that has come to me, I, I got into meditation, which helped me um, tremendously. And I think one of the biggest um, realizations that I had was that I had spent my life in Christianity fearing a lot of people and judging a lot of people who I had never met, and when I met them, I realized that the fear and the evil that I had only seen in them, it actually was only in me, by my own thoughts, my own beliefs, and that I had projected those beliefs onto them. And uh, you know, so you know, basically, I spent my whole life, in a way, in hell because I, you know, they're tearing down our country and you know they're bad and they worship demons and don't be around them and you know there was a fear and fear is hell i mean the fruits of the spirit are love joy and peace and i think that's what each of us you know that's what jesus came to tell us you know that we have that inside of ourselves but it's the beliefs that we have accepted that become our reality. And we judge the world through the beliefs. So the beliefs I accepted was, you know, it's wrong to be gay, it's wrong to, you know, Hindus and Buddhists and, you know, they're worshiping demons and and that was my belief. So I would see a Buddhist or a Hindu or gays and immediately, I mean, bam, you know, my belief created my thoughts. Our thoughts create our emotions. And then the emotions animate us and that fuels more thoughts so that we basically, because of our beliefs, we get caught in this cycle of thoughts and beliefs and you know, our, you know, and, and we can even get out of control because the you know, our emotions can take over us sometimes. So in meditation, what I learned was, and and basically this is, this is my personal experience, you know, I you know, you kind of go inside yourself which Jesus, he says, the kingdom of heaven is within. And so I began to say, okay, instead of looking outside and, you know, I see something I'm triggered out here because, you know, it's their fault that I feel this way. I started, I say, okay, let me go inside myself. And I started, you know, when I first realized, and this may sound weird, but when I first realized that I was thinking, it's kind of like, there was a separation between me and my thoughts in other words like we come into this life as a little child and we know nothing we're just blank consciousness and as we grow we begin to learn okay this is right this is wrong this is what god is this you know and so we take these beliefs and pretty soon instead of just blank consciousness kind of just observing the world just as it is now we have all these beliefs that create our thoughts and that's what we judge the world through. So, you know, I see a gay person and they're a sinful or you know, this and that. And and when I began to see that wait a minute, my thoughts and my beliefs, you know, I wasn't born with these, you know, they were given to me, and I started just watching them and you know, just asking, you know, does this make sense? You know, how where did I learn this belief from? And who would I learn it from? And how did they know it was true? You know, in my whole Christian beliefs, I finally came to the realization that, wait a minute, the reason, you know, because I was out street witnessing, telling people, this is God's holy word before I'd ever even read the Bible, you know, but I realized that you know, I mean, I just accepted this and, you know, this is real and this is the way it is. And I realized my parents had just accepted it from their parents who had accepted it from their parents. But, I mean, you know, you can trace it all the way back to the fourth century, you know, the Council of Nicaea when the church state was set up and mandated everybody to believe. And so it's, it's like, wait a minute. So my beliefs are not who I am. My beliefs are something that I've adopted. And, and as I was able, you know, through meditation and just going inside and just you know, feeling the feelings that came to me from the thoughts and said, okay, you know, my, my beliefs are what are creating these thoughts and emotions. And, you know, as I began to do that, I began to, you know, I was able to, you know, just, hey, I don't need this thought anymore. And I was able to, or this belief anymore, and I was able to put them away. And, you know, meditation has helped me a great deal. And just, you know, and kind of discovering it. it is kind of like, you know, use an analogy, it's kind of like, we are pure consciousness. I mean, we come into this world knowing absolutely nothing. We're just pure consciousness. And we go through life and we get an identity and we realize, okay, I'm a white male. And, you know, then we say, okay, well, you know, here's my education and this is what I've done. And this is what I've owned, what I own and, you know, all this stuff and it becomes our identity and my religion and everything. But then when we leave, we leave all that behind and we're back to just, you know, blank consciousness. And all we take with us is the actions that we've done, you know, in this life. And so if we can, and when you deconstruct, you're deconstructing your identity. I was deconstructing my identity as a Christian. And it's kind of like you're dying and, and you really are. I mean, this, person who I have been, Danny, fundamentalist Christian, I believe this and I know this is true. And, you know, well, that person was dying, so it's kind of like a death. But when you go in and you get rid of all of these thoughts, it's kind of like, you know, the clouds break and you can all of a sudden begin to see this beautiful blue sky and consciousness that is our true being. And, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from Taoism just because Taoists, you know, they, it's kind of like you go outside and it's raining and they don't say, oh man, this is a terrible day. It's raining. They just say, it's raining. They go outside and the sun's shining and You don't say, oh man, the sun's shining. It's just, well, the sun's shining. I mean, it is what it is. I don't have any control over the rain or the sun, but we can let our emotions be oh, this is a terrible day because it's raining, or we can just, you know, it's raining this year. And we kind of accept life as it is, and we don't judge things as good or bad, and we don't judge people as good or bad. And and when we get rid of our beliefs, it's kind of like we just begin to say, oh, wait a minute, you know, there's just kind of love that comes forth, I mean, which, which is our true nature. Um, and it's just religious beliefs. And of course, we got social beliefs, and all the other beliefs. And it's, it's kind of like, just getting rid of all the beliefs and just being, you know, being present, and, you know, that, that it's helped me a lot. And not having to know, you know, mm-hmm. not having to know is, is great. Of uh, uh, there's in the Tao Te Ching, there's a line that, uh, it's the first one. It says, "The Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao. The Tao mean, meaning everything, everything seen, everything unseen, God, the you know everything that is, ever was, ever shall be, you know the totality of everything. If you can say it, it ain't it. And the name of God that can be spoken." it ain't the real name so you can say well i know exactly you know what god the universe is like because i know these <laughs> scriptures well no you don't nobody does something I but it's okay not to know and you know there's a beauty in not knowing because then you can just uh, look at a tree and say man that's kind amazing that that tree has been growing you know just a it's been going on since the big bang or the creation or whatever. And it's like, wow, you know, and there's leaves and fruit and birds and, you know, there's whole amazing world that we live in. And we don't have to figure it out. You know, we just love and enjoy and experience life. And, you know, and, and just.
0: Mm-hmm. And like, I would say, even Jesus said in the Bible, like he wanted us to have an abundant life. He didn't want us to be so miserable following all these different religious <laughs> rules, like <laughs> Religion that wants us to be miserable yeah, and unworthy. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're gosh. right. Um, so, you know, as we're getting towards the end of this interview, which I have greatly enjoyed so much hearing all of your wisdom and all the things you have deconstructed and learned and your worldview now. But for my last question, what advice would you have for people who are trapped in toxic religious environments?
1: I would say, and I didn't realize this until I was in my mid forties, but when we accept religion, when we get saved or, or whatever convert, we basically don't know it but we're also accepting a fear of questioning those beliefs And it wasn't until i started questioning that i thought oh man is the devil tricking me and am i gonna go to hell and you know and there's a fear and so i would say you know don't be afraid to question i mean you do have a mind god gave you a mind and especially people that have you know of their beliefs and childhood before the mind is really developed and because then especially i mean it literally your the neurons of your brain i mean you're just forming and uh you know it it becomes the program so it's difficult but i think if you if you're in toxic religion and what i want to do actually in in some of my videos coming up i'm going to do a probably a series i i want I personally, and I mean, this sounds like you think I'm a heretic so far. I don't think Jesus belongs in the Bible. I don't think he ever should have been put in the Bible. Uh, He does not fit in the Bible. And I know most people will say, well, you can't take Jesus. That's his book, you know, that you can't. That's like taking the water out of an ice cube. Well, yeah, I think you really can. And and I want to lay out, you know, just kind of. you know, why I think that's right. And here are my reasonings. And here are the supposed prophecies of the Messianic. And let's look at those. And, you know, but when I started looking at Jesus, just Jesus, and what interpreting Jesus by what Jesus said, and by what Jesus did, and I separated him from Paul, and I separated him from Moses, and I wasn't and, okay, what is Jesus like? Well, let me see what Paul says about Jesus. No, I mean, I was just looking at Jesus. You know, you find someone that is just totally loved. You find a father, a creator. You know, it doesn't matter if we have spit on him and said, I don't want anything to do with you, dad. And gone away into a far country and spent our money on prostitutes and stuff. And we come back, he's going to say, hey, welcome home. Here's the finest robe. And I'm going to put, you know, let's kill the fatted calf we're going to celebrate cuz i love you and everything i have is yours you know so don't be afraid to question religion cuz you might just find a creator that is every bit that loving and uh, you know it it's it's so worth it i mean i mean it's so long ago that i was in christianity it seems like long ago in a galaxy far far away and it's it's just gone but it's beautiful and uh you know, so I, that's why I'm doing my channel. I'm trying to help people to kind of break free of
0: religion or those who are having
1: trouble, or just at least to think about things in a way they've never really thought about. It.
0: Yes, thank you, Danny, for that wonderful advice. And I also want to thank you for coming on the show and telling your story and of your deconstruction and your personal beliefs. And for anyone who wants to check out Danny's work, I will have his YouTube link and socials in the bio of this. Um, thank you again, Danny, for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate it. It's been a joy talking to you and uh, you know,
0: just, you have a great heart and uh, I love what you're doing with your podcast. So thank you. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for that. All right, everyone. This was Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger and thank you for listening. This podcast is distributed by Anchor from Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Everything you need is in one space. Anchor has the tools to record, edit, and distribute your podcast. And it's all free. Download the Anchor app. Or go to Anchor FM to start creating your own podcast today. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Please support the show by sharing, donating, or leaving a review. Your support is much appreciated.